Welcome back to the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli. And we are back with our way too late trade deadline recap show. Uh, since the last time we recorded, the Orioles have gone four and four. They've been pretty, pretty decent and pretty good since the All-Star break, really. I think they're 10 and six since the All-Star 10 break. And seven. And last seven. night's loss. Yeah. Okay. So they've uh, split a uh, two game series with the Marlins, split a four game series with the Tigers and currently have split the first two games of the Yankees series in the Bronx, which is being wrapped up as we record right now. I think it's the O's are ahead three to two. So we're looking, we're looking good for a, a winning road trip. It, it, it was really, uh, well, it wasn't good, but I was uh, headed home last night. Uh, and of course the Orioles are in the Bronx right now. So I was taking the beer, the D train home last night. And one of uh, as I'm on the train, I see a group of Yankee fans, uh, you know, like four or five of them. They're not it's not a family. It's it seems like coworkers or mm-hmm. something like that. Friends, you know. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm feeling good coming off our four one win or whatever it was the previous <laughs> night. And I'm Seven feeling excited. It was what? Seven to one. Oh, coming off our seven one win uh, the previous night. And I was feeling really good about it. And I said, you know, I had my uh, Oriole shirt on actually underneath my work shirt, uh, which I had taken off at that point. And I just made a comment to them. I was really excited, uh, you know, go O's, uh, you know, something like that. Just kind of uh, being excited about the previous win and feeling good about the, the game that night. And then we lost 13 to one. So. And did, did, uh, had, we already, had we already lost 13 to one when you were gloating? No, okay. No, no. Fortunately, <laughs> I wasn't there to see them after the game. Right. Uh, okay. Yes. It was all pregame. So I got to hide afterwards. Okay. That's good. That's good. Yeah. And are you in, are you living in the Bronx now, Jesse? Have we talked no, about that? No, okay. no, I'm not. I'm not. Okay. What so, part of New York are you in? You don't have to give uh, us a, a street address, but sure. yes, yes. Uh, Inwood. <laughs> So okay. no one yeah. knows where that it, is. It's in Manhattan. It's okay. in Manhattan, okay, but cool. it's like the very top of it. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, anyway, cool. No, Baltimore Oriole fans probably don't know where it is. No, know? no, nobody does. But yeah, you but, got, we're, we're back in three different States now. Eli in Florida, me and me rep in the hometown. I'm, I'm in Baltimore County. So exactly. Stay true. Right. As the pandemic is uh, flaring up once again. Uh, now we're all back at three. We've states, all flown so. the nest. Yeah. Yeah. Right. All right, well, let's get into the big topic of the week. Trade deadline wrapped up on Friday at 4 p.m. Jesse was a little confused about that, was texting us later in the day saying I was really, <laughs> he's really excited about the moves the O's are going to yeah. make the next day. And we're like, oh, Jess, it's over. It's happened yeah. already. But anyway. It was unfortunate, yeah. <laughs> I was getting off work. I was excited to, like, come and, you know, get ready to watch and see everything that was happening. And then, yeah, Tyler – killed my excitement you must have thought it was like the most wild like trade deadline eve ever right right (laughs) we had even talked about it because the mlb offices were closed on saturday right right. we went through the whole thing right it's all right jesse we're recording right now jesse's literally laying in bed so it's not always like i'm sitting on my bed okay okay (laughs) and that's that's mainly due to the fact of lack of like you know, better options for recording. So yeah. Yeah. that New York city living, you know, not much space. <laughs> exactly. Right. All right. Well, there was a bunch I of, tra- I, I don't have a whole house here. Yeah. yeah. You're not like Eli and myself who are homeowners and adulting real hard. Correct. Correct. <laughs> 
Um, but it was yeah. a pretty wild trade deadline. All kinds of big names went places. Uh, Max Scherzer, Trey Turner, Joey Gallo, Anthony Rizzo, uh, Chris Bryant. It's just everybody going all over the place. The Orioles did get involved. Um, Eli, do you, do you want to tell us who, who, who we traded, the big names that de- got dealt? If you can call involved. it involved, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how involved the Orioles got, but uh, we sent minor league reliever Sean Armstrong to the Rays for some cash considerations, and we sent a rehabbing Freddie Galvis to the Phillies for a 23-year-old righty Tyler Birch. Nice. We love so that. Much. I think uh, I think Birch, his big thing was he led the Phillies organization in swinging strike rate, I believe. So, you know, the O's like those sort of metrics. That's kind of a guy they're going for. He is a relief pitching prospect. I think Fangraphs has him like 38th overall on our prospect list or something. So he is like he's a legitimate prospect, but he's not, uh, you know, not going to be starting games or anything like that. Um, I don't know. I, from my perspective, I think this is about what I thought the Orioles were going to do. I thought a Trey Mancini trade was going to be tough to swing. Any of the big trades of like John Means or Cedric Mullins was going to be a lot to get done during the season. Jesse, you you were a little disappointed, it sounds like, and you look a little bit down right now. Uh, what <laughs> Was this not the trade deadline that you were expecting from the Orioles? I was very, uh, very disappointed overall. And yeah, <laughs> I guess I guess I feel well, one, I, I tell myself this after the trade deadline, it feels like every year that I need to stop getting my hopes up and uh, excited for Oriole trade deadlines. That's just about what it is. I just have to stop doing it because it generally always disappoints. The Orioles are, I feel like a notoriously quiet team on the trade deadline. At least they were particularly like growing up. Um, But but yeah, so well, well, they were bad growing up, you know, right? So they were, <laughs> for sure. They were perennially sellers. And what were they? What did they ever sell at the trade deadline? That was big. Right. I, Ty Wigginton, I think, got traded to the Phillies at one point. That was kind of noteworthy. Yeah, um, crazy. Yeah. Ty yeah. Wigginton. Yeah. But then even even once they got good, the deals were pretty minor. It was it was a Bud Norris trade here. It was a Gerardo Parra trade there. Andrew Miller. Andrew Miller was a big one. That was a big was one. Big. Um, okay, well, we've got Jesse's take on it, Eli. So, oh, sorry, Jesse, go ahead. You want yeah, to jump back gonna, in? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so I was just going to say, it was. I mean, it was just disappointing overall. We had, I felt like, you know, the most valuable pieces that we had that could have brought the biggest returns back, mainly Paul Fry and Tanner Scott, um, didn't get moved, and that was disappointing to me, so... Okay, and Eli, before we got on and started recording, you said something kind of similar about the relievers. Were was there one or the other? You said they got close to a deal. Is that right on on a reliever? Uh, Michael Elias had said that they were close to trading one reliever. They didn't specify who. Uh, however, yeah, I had kind of thought that at least one of them was going to go. I thought it was a pretty good market for relievers. There were a lot of people floating around. You know, we saw Richard Rodriguez, the Pirates go. We saw. I don't know, just a bunch of names going around, Andrew Chafin, et cetera, et cetera. So I had thought that the market was there, and especially because we had those guys in Fry and Scott that were so controllable. I mean, even Solster and even Tate to a further extent. I never really thought they were going to move Tate just because of how young he is, how much control we do have over him. But one of those other guys, it did make sense, and it seemed like the market was pretty ripe. It seemed like it was a seller's market. And so I was surprised to not see even one of those guys get moved. That being said, I also realized that they have 
at this point, three and a half years of control over uh, each of those guys. And there's not really any pressure to sell them. I don't think their value is going to go up or down a huge amount by the time the trade deadline rolls around next year. And so they still provide valuable, you know, valuable innings to us. There's still a chance that they're on the next good Orioles team. And I don't really see any problem with keeping them either. I would think that Elias probably set a high price on them and no teams met that. And that is what it is. Uh, that being said, I was still surprised. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, you know, a reliever is, is rel- you know, they're notoriously volatile. So Paul Fry's having a really good season now. He was good last year. That could fall apart for the end of the year. Tanner Scott, we've already, we already saw like immediately become <laughs> like a disaster after the trade deadline. And now he's on the IL with uh, sore knees, I think they said, but yeah, just one knee. One weird. Yeah, it's very strange. He just couldn't find the strike zone, which is not that abnormal. But um, yeah, Jesse, you look like you are about to say something. Yeah. So I guess my thing is relievers generally have to go at the trade deadline. They don't norm unless it's like a really big name, like a Craig Kimbrell or something like that. Relievers aren't generally going to get traded in the offseason just because uh, teams are trying to figure teams have no idea how their bullpens are going to shake out basically. So you're not going to trade a lot of your good, good prospects uh, before the beginning of the year when there's still a lot of question marks around a given team's bullpen. So when we're looking at Paul Fry and Tanner Scott, particularly Fry, we can focus in on here now. Um, So we have three and a half years of, of Paul Fry and next year, at this time, we're going to have two and a half years. And Eli said the value isn't going to go up or down much uh, in that time. But the value will drop a good amount because now it's an entire year less of control that organizations have over the player. And I think I think that does matter in this case. And I think it does matter um, that that sort of control um, an entire year is a long time. Um, I, what I would say is yes, hopefully, uh, if things go according to plan, Paul Fry is not going to implode and there will be reasonable offers at the next deadline. Um, maybe he will be one of the elite lefty relievers available at that time. Although he was definitely a top tier lefty reliever, uh, this time around. Um, but so hopefully the Orioles, I think are, you know, hoping that everything will, go according to plan and they'll be able to deal them next year at this time and it won't be a big deal but there are a lot of variables he could get hurt in the meantime anything could happen he could have an atrocious year he could have next year uh be like the beginning of this year for him right uh i mean let's not forget he is having a very good year now but at the beginning of this year he was he had he went through them real struggles so with the volatility of relievers and stuff the fact that we had a a chance to sell probably as high as we could on him um it's it's disappointing that something couldn't come together uh the other quick note that i have on that is that a a long time ago i was talking about cedric mullins and i was 100 percent sure he was not getting uh dealt at the deadline and thankfully he is still an oriole uh and i was right about that but uh and we all were to be fair um but uh what I, what i was saying is that 
it didn't it, it would make no sense and in no universe would a Cedric Mullins trade make sense for the Orioles and for another team and there would not be any sort of agreement on the value of a Cedric Mullins in that situation um and that's for a variety of reasons um for the Orioles and Paul Fry though it seems to me like of course I can't judge uh Elias too harshly I'm not in a situation I'm not on the phone I don't know exactly what was offered or what the Orioles could have gotten or if the Orioles you know lacked certain creativity in coming up with a potential deal or something like that so I can't judge him too harshly Um, however it's it feels like given who Paul Fry is given um, kind of uh, teams' assessments of relievers, given that he has a track a track record that it stands out uh, relative to a lot of relievers in Major League Baseball, it feels intuitively to me like there should have been a match out there for Paul Fry, and that's why, uh, especially with him, him even more so than Scott. Um, because Scott kind of underperforms probably to what he's capable of. But for Paul Fry in particular, it feels like there should have been a match in what teams were would be willing to give to get him and what the Orioles would feel like was a fair, a fair price for sending him away. So the fact that that didn't happen is discouraging and frustrating to me. Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely fair. I mean, the only thing I would say is that kind of to your point about how reliever deals tend to get done at the trade deadline versus offseason, especially middle relief guys, is that, yes, that team that's acquiring the pitcher really the, the bulk of the value, I think, is going to be in like that playoff run. You're trying to bulk up the bullpen because you're going to have in the postseason, you're pretty much going to go to your starter for like five innings. That'd be great. And then you're going to go to like the ace relievers. And Paul Fry could probably be one of those ace relievers. But you are in Paul Fry's situation also buying several additional years of team control. And for the Orioles, that could be huge. They might, they need those types of pitchers in the bullpen right now because the starting pitching options at the higher minors are pretty dire. You need to have like the relievers that do come in, lock down those games. And I think for the Orioles, you got to weigh like, okay, we've got this, we know a pitcher that's pretty good in Paul Fry for the next three seasons. What are we going to, we're giving that up for what kind of prospect are we getting back in return? It needs to be a pretty good prospect. It can't be some, some 20 something ranked ranked middle relief pitcher type of deal or something like that. I think if they could have gotten similar, something similar to what they got for Miguel Castro or Michael Givens last year, probably more Michael Givens where they got Tyler Nevin and Taryn Vavra who are legitimate prospects. I think maybe you pull the trigger. I'm not sure that that deal ever materialized um, based on some of the returns that you see for pitchers that are pretty similar. I think uh, Richard Rodriguez is right-handed obviously, but a pretty good comp where I don't think the return there was quite equal to that. Um, But you know, it's all, it's all uh, opinions and and stuff like that. So I'm not sure, but yeah, I I get where you're coming from. The one little note that I'm going to throw out regarding uh, the effect that team control has over these guys and their value on the market I think that value is much less affected by team control when we're talking about relievers, primarily because, you know, if you're going out to get a reliever, it's because you are a competitive team in a situation going for it this year. 
And it's usually, I think that relievers more than any other position at the trade deadline are more market driven than anything else. Um, you know, like if Trevor story is out there, which side note, miraculous <laughs> that he did not get traded. <laughs> Amazing. I don't know what the Rockies are doing, but you know, if Trevor story is out there, the, every good team is going to be in on them just because they're like, we'll figure out a way to make it work. Javi Baez, even though the Mets have Francisco Lindor, the Mets say, we're going to figure out a way to make Javi Baez work on this team because, you know, we're competitive. We're trying to go for it. This is what's happening. And he's got value to any team on earth. You know, a reliever type, despite the number of years of control that they have, because bullpens are volatile, like you were saying, Jess, you know, they go for it in that year. And I think more than in any other situation with any other positions, it's a year by year basis more so than this guy is controllable for the next few. That's the one point I'll make. That That's definitely true. I mean, absolutely. Uh, the other move, uh, the Freddie Galvis move. Um, I think this is probably the most straightforward move of the deadline of like maybe any team. This is a guy who was the starting shortstop for most of the year, got hurt and got replaced by Ramon Urias, who's been arguably better than Freddie Galvis was. So, um, I don't know, uh, Eli, were you surprised to see Freddie Galvis go? And, um, you know, what do you think about the return for him? Uh, I'll admit, I don't really know too much about the return. Uh, what Tyler said about his swinging strike rate was definitely true. Elias has said that Tyler Birch has had this huge stuff jump since the pandemic and everything. So, you know, it's all been good stuff. Like Tyler said, he is a reliever though. That being said, I wasn't expecting much to come from a Freddie Galvis trade. I don't think that he had overwhelming value to anyone as a borderline starting shortstop for half a year. <laughs> um, and especially a hurt one. I, I was surprised that he left just because he was hurt. Um, you know, he's still on the IL for the Phillies. It, I, I had just thought that he would need to come back and prove he was healthy before anything happened. But the Phillies do have Didi Gregorius. They do have Gene Segura. So I think that Galvis definitely is not going to have a starting role. Uh, well, I don't know. Maybe they can move Segura to third and throw Galvis at second, something like that. But uh, it's it's a less important role for them is the point. So they're willing to take on a little more risk with the injury. Yeah, not not the biggest, uh, I don't know, highlight move of the deadline. Jesse, any thoughts on the Galvis to Philly trade? He goes back to where he started his career, I think, or he spent some time Correct. there. Yep. No, yeah, he, he returns to where he, he started. Um, I mean, I'm happy for him uh, being able uh, to play for a somewhat contender. Uh, Tyler pointed out to us that, you know, he made a $250,000 bonus for being traded. Uh, good for him. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, for the Orioles uh, at this point, Freddie Galvis played a very critical role for the Orioles uh, the first half of the season. And now his role with the emerging of uh, Urias, uh, his his role is pretty um, not very important to the Orioles at this point. The Orioles aren't concerned with with winning or having a solid backup defensive shortstop. Uh, the Orioles are going to keep playing uh, Urias at short and uh, ride him out for the rest of the season. Uh, the trade is going to give the Orioles the ability to watch him play more, to give him more of an opportunity. Uh, if Galvis was still on the team, uh, there would be some expectation. They might have to split time or something like that. So I think uh, the move makes sense for all parties involved. 
So I think it's a, a win-win-win uh, for the Phillies, Orioles, and Galvis. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about one player who did not get moved real quick. Trey Mancini uh, is still an Oriole. And afterwards, you know, they've talked to Mike Elias. They've talked to Mancini. Mancini said he was happy to stay. Um, and then Elias had kind of an interesting quote about it. He said, I think the future is very bright for Trey Mancini. He's been through something that I don't think any of us can imagine and come out of it like the special person that he is. And he's back to baseball now and he's going to keep getting better and building off this. And I can't wait to see him to that. I can't wait to see him do that with us. And I hope he's here as long as possible. And ultimately we're going to kind of take things as we come like baseball to teams do in the major leagues, yada, yada, yada. But I think it's kind of interesting that talking about keeping him long, this has gotten people thinking about an extension for Trey Mancini, which we have talked about on this show. Uh, Jesse's crossing his arms and looking very terse right now. Jesse, we yeah. know you're not a fan. We've gone over it. Right. Yeah. Okay. So just, just a couple things. I mean, one, one, yes. I, I, an extension, I think would not make sense for the, from the Orioles perspective, really at any point for Trey Mancini. That's the first point. I also feel like I, I'm all the frustration that you are all observing um, is that I, I kind of something about the Elias comment bothers me. Right. Because I feel like he's kind of playing with people a little bit like he's yes, you can acknowledge he's a very good. Uh, he's a very good player. You can acknowledge uh, that you like Trey Mancini, that you value having him as a member of the Orioles, etc without trying to dangle this possibility in front of people. Um, and I don't know if, if you liked him so much, then extend him tomorrow. That's a possibility. If you think that he can be, a, make a contribution to the Orioles. Now, of course it wouldn't make any business sense to do that really. Right. Because, you know, extend him a year before he's a free agent, if you want to. Right. I mean, there's no reason from the Orioles perspective to to push it. And maybe he falls off a cliff or has a really bad year, gets injured. Right. So uh, there's no reason from the Orioles perspective to push it. But like if you're talking about him in this sort of way, offer him an extension. Right. Like have him on the team for the next few years and, and don't leave any question marks about it. But to kind of suggest this bothers me a little bit because I know it's just empty words. And mm. um, okay, I, I don't, yeah. Well, one thing to me, I think you might be overstating the importance of his words. He did also say, like, we're going to keep evaluating it as base, you know, as major league teams do. Right. And I, you know, saying I'm excited to see him grow for a long, long time is not necessarily saying, you know, he's going to grow here for a long, long time. You know, Elias is just trying to, I, I don't know, I, I interpreted it as like the rah-rah, you know, I love Trey. He's going to, you know, be a successful big leaguer for years to come, and I'm super happy for him. And that was how I took it. Not necessarily that we're excited to see him in an Orioles uniform for the next 12 years, you know. <laughs> it's like, that that just wasn't how I heard it. And the, especially coupled with him saying we're going to keep evaluating I mean, continuing to evaluate means this is a dynamic situation. We're not putting any stake in any words that I'm saying right now or anything. You know, it's just they're they're evaluating. They're going to see what happens. 
yeah, just some GM speak to kind of, I mean, look, like there, not that there's many rumors that come out of the Orioles front office. They're very tight lipped. It's a little bit different than the Dan Duquette Buck Showalter regime, where I felt like there were leaks about stuff all the time. You don't hear much come out of Michael Elias's squad. And despite that though, there was almost, there was no talk about Trey Mancini getting traded. There were no rumors. There was no like, Hey, this they're talking to X, Y, and Z team about Mancini. It just like didn't happen. So that almost makes the decision for Elias to say like, Hey, this is a player that fans like uh, we like as a person, he's a good player. Let's just keep him around and see maybe what happens in the off season. He does say, he says here as long as possible. I mean, yeah, I guess as long as possible, I'm sure Trey Mancini would take an extension, but also like you can kind of default to, Oh, well, you know, he's got one more year of arbitration and that's like as long as we could possibly keep him something <laughs> like that. Um I don't know. I mean, do you, do, I mean, we can be quick about this. Do you guys think that these words or the fact that Mantini was not traded at the deadline changes anything about this off season upcoming, whether that, that includes extension talks or trade talks. Do you think this like alters that in any way, shape or form? Jesse saying no. Yeah, not, not really for me. Okay. Uh, yeah. I kind of agree. I think that this was once Mancini had the wonderful story I, you know, if he were a player that was hitting 330 and putting up Vlad Guerrero numbers, you know, 37 bombs, like I, then maybe there's a chance that he would have been traded this year. But because he is like, you know, he, he's a top, you know, top 40 percent of players in the league. You know, he is a good player, a solid major leaguer that any team would value. But he's not that superstar caliber. I think because of that placement, there's no overwhelming demand for him and also with the story with who what he means to our clubhouse to our fan base i think it never made any sense to trade him this this deadline so i think this offseason is going to proceed as it would have before the deadline that being said what the orioles have in mind i couldn't tell you <laughs> yeah i mean the only thing i can think is that the cba is changing this offseason the DH might be going to the NL as well. And I, I don't know. I think we've kind of talked about that angle before. I mean, if NL teams get DHs, I think Trey Mancini becomes a much more marketable player, even on a one-year deal versus a one-and-a-half-year deal. So um, we'll see. I Hopefully the season's not delayed, but that's a whole other thing we'll, we'll get into on a, on a later episode. Um, all right, so that's our trade deadline talk. Not a whole bunch from the Orioles, but at least for from Eli and I's perspective, not that surprising either. So – Let's move on to a couple of promotions to the MLB squad, and we'll kind of just go down this uh, a point at a time. So the most maybe interesting one is that Richie Martin is back. I, I, I will admit that I've kind of forgotten about Richie Martin a few times over the last uh, two years. Uh, he's had a couple injuries, but he's up, and he actually started at second base in the game tonight as we record. Um, hey, he's starting at short. At shortstop, okay. I was going to throw out he's made two extremely nice plays okay. while we've been recording. Okay, because that was kind of his thing when he got taken in the Rule 5 pick is like he's a major league ready glove and he's going to be a, a light bat and he was kind of a bad glove and a light bat in 2019. <laughs> and, um, you know, we're we're encouraged by that, I guess. But, uh, you know, Eli wrote here on our outline, does this kind of put a stop to the Jemai Jones call-up rumors? Does, you know, Martin kind of slot in there ahead of Jemai Jones? I don't know, Eli, what do you make of, of Martin getting back to the big leagues before Jones does? Yeah, I... I'll be honest. I, I put it in there because I really just don't understand it. I mean, <laughs> Jemai Jones has been hitting the crap out of the ball. And I think that 
I don't know. I think that this promotion might be more reflective of Richie Martin than it would be of Jemai Jones. I think that they saw an opportunity and they said, who do we need to evaluate more? Uh, who do we need more information on? And I think that answer is Ricky Martin. Ricky, wow. <laughs> Richie <laughs> <Anita> Martin. <Loka. laughs> uh, I think that answer is Richie Martin. And I think, like you said, he's always been kind of a light bat, but he had shown a little bit better this year. So they're, it, I think they're trying to evaluate how he will fit as a utility infielder on a major league team. And I think with Jemai Jones, they have more of a clear answer on that. I think they're more confident that he will be able to handle that role. And so while they have one slot open, getting information on Richie Martin makes a little more sense. And because he has had the previous experience, it feels like, you know, his clock is expiring a little bit more than Jemai Jones's is. Okay. Jesse's shaking his head in agreement. Jess, are you kind of on the same page as Eli? Yeah. I mean, I also felt like uh, part of it was the service time too. Right. So Richie Martin played a full year for the Orioles. I mean, Eli's kind of shrugging because I, I'm assuming because, uh, you know, these are utility infielders we're talking yeah, about. These right. aren't top, uh, top prospects. That's um, exactly it. Right. This isn't, uh, yeah, this isn't, uh, an Adley that we want to hold on to for one more year after, uh, you know, to stay in contention a, a year longer. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think the information point makes sense. Um, yeah, I, I mean, Richie Martin played an entire year for the Orioles, so I think that they definitely feel confident uh, that he can at least be somewhat serviceable, even though he had a really rough year. Um, I don't I think they know that he's not going to. Um, I mean, he, he could hit very poorly, but he'll play a solid defense for the most part. Um, and hopefully his glove has improved a lot because um, defensively uh, the year he was up with us, he, he was shaky at short. So um, in the time that he played. So I think that's a lot of it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's frustrating because Jemai Jones, just like you said, has been really hitting the ball well. And he's definitely kind of the more, uh, I think exciting player at this point for Oriole fans to watch um, or to see um, just especially because they haven't seen him play at the major league level yet. So um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think we, yeah, I think what you said, Jesse was about like what type of players they are and, and sort of the type of prospects they are is an important thing to mention to kind of put all of this in perspective. Like, the next time the Orioles are good, Richie Martin or Jemai Jones might be on the team. That's entirely possible, but I don't expect them to be like a key cog on that good team. They will be a bench player. Jemai Jones may be better suited to that utility role, having some outfield experience. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think in general, this isn't really that big of a deal. I, I know Richie Martin does bring speed off the bench. I would imagine they were encouraged by his glove because I think last year he was kind of anticipated as maybe making the team as a utility guy and then hurt his wrist. And then this year, I think it was sort of in the, I think he was still kind of recovering from that in spring training. So he never really had a chance to compete um, for the spot, but yeah, I think Richie Martin's probably just a little bit further along too. And he's, you know, got longer, more big league experience. So let's give him a go, see what he can do. And then this off season, maybe there's tough decisions to be made. I would imagine Pat Valeka is not back on this team next year. Um, you know, and then that becomes sort of an open competition for second base because second base shortstop, I don't, 
I don't know if Ramon Urias is the shortstop next year. I think that's an open competition too. Um, so yeah, get everybody as many looks as possible. Um, and we do know Jemai Jones is not a shortstop. We, we know that at the very least. So at least get Richie Martin some looks at shortstop for, for 2022. Yeah. I'll throw out one more thing that should be admitted as much as like Orioles Twitter has been going off about Jemai Jones and how crazy, you know, how crazy he's been going on the triple a competition. He has been slumping recently since the conversation first started when he was raking with like a 940 OPS. He definitely has cooled off and he's still hitting well above league average. I think his OPS is like 820-ish right now, but he uh, he has fallen off a little bit. And the Orioles might be seeing that and saying, let him get his confidence back before that happens as well, before yeah. the promotion happens. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, okay, some other promotions. The bullpen is getting shaken up, shook up. Shaken? I don't know. Shaken, Either way. Shaken. Shaken, not stirred. Uh, <laughs> they have uh, called up Dustin Knight, the guy that does backflips when he saves games. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> and Marcos Diplan, who we've talked about on the pod before. He uh, was in the uh, Futures game at the All-Star break this year for Mexico. Both I, of them I, have been... I have to correct you a little bit. <laughs> please, please do. I was totally guessing on how to say it. Totally it's guessing. just Diplan. Marcus Diplan. Diplan. Marcus yeah. Diplan him he's up so that's cool uh and then to make room for them on the 40 man uh sean anderson and domingo leba have been dfa'd so are we heartbroken over that at all i'm just so crushed i've been weeping for hours i don't know what to tell you guys i was very excited to see sean anderson go Uh, no offense (laughs) sean but pretty much every time he came in he'd pitch like one inning give up three runs it felt like (laughs) So that was good to see happen. Leba, I mean, you know, whatever. He used to be a top 100 prospect, I think, a long, long time ago. Never lived up to it, and it just didn't pan out. But, I mean, yeah, let's see some more arms. Dustin Knight, it'd be cool to see him close a game and do a flip and have Major League Baseball go insane over the unwritten rules. That'd be pretty dope. Is he, is he going to get a save? No, I doubt for it. For the Orioles, yeah. He's like 30 years old. Right. I hope they give it to him just for the I, sake of it. I mean, I think. I think there is a possibility. I mean, Tate has been pitching pretty well, and it seems like that's the reliever they're going to recently. Just not even in safe situations, just to pitch the last inning, right? Yeah. Um, but e- even if it's 7-1, they just go to him anyways, I guess because there's so so few safe opportunities for the Orioles anyway <laughs> that all our, all our uh, wins are going to be safe opportunities. But uh, in any case... Um, I could see him getting an inning, you know, at the end of a game or getting a save. Um, I don't know. It's it's not inconceivable. I mean, you'd have to have Cole Salser unavailable, Paul Fry unavailable, uh, Tate, Probably even Tate maybe Scott, yeah, Valdez maybe unavailable. Or they like, or they pitched earlier in the game. I mean, that's I what, guess that's unavailable saying, in yeah. that way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. But uh, so, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I, I mean, Dustin Knight has legitimately been pitching very well diplon was pitching really well too he's gotten roughed up a little bit recently diplon has 26 strikeouts in 19 and two-thirds dustin knight his strikeouts aren't as high but he's still got a 130 era and a 108 whip um i mean he's been pitching really well pretty much all year and he's been getting a lot of love on orioles twitter as well just you know for the backflips for his consistently good performance and the dude's 30 years old which is you know, kind of surprising to see a major league debut at 30, but he, uh, 
you know, kind of revolutionized himself over the pandemic. He was one of those guys who, with a little extra time to work out and bulk up and refine some pitches, it did him wonders. So I'm hoping the best for him in particular. Yeah, and I mean, it's not like it's unheard of for the Orioles in particular to kind of debut these older, not debut, but give chances to older relievers. Cole Salser, I think, was 30 years old last year as a rookie. Uh, Cesar Valdez this year. Mickey Jan, although that didn't go great, but it didn't. yeah, <laughs> Cesar Valdez was fun for a while and he's still around and he's older, although he wasn't a rookie, but he pitched a long time ago in the big league. So, Hey, I mean, try it. Like we were just talking relievers are super volatile. Maybe Dustin Knight catches, you know, what's it called? A uh, fire in a bottle. Like what's it called? Electricity, in lightning, a bottle? Light, lightning in a bottle. There wow. we go. Wow. Look guys, it's nine o'clock at night. I have a one-year-old. <laughs> this is basically midnight to me. So you're lucky I'm awake. Um, but yeah, I think that's pretty cool. Um, anything else to say on those moves where we talk about the one last move? No. no. Uh, and then the last move is just that Alexander Wells was optioned to Norfolk. He's kind of bounced up and down. He's been a bit of a disappointment. I think that's kind of a common thread with a lot of the Orioles young pitchers this year. Kramer's been poor. Uh, Lothar when he pitches has been poor and now he's hurt. Alexander Wells, I think he had a good start in Tampa, but in general has been a little bit of a disappointment. Eli, I don't know if you want to break down what you're seeing from Alexander Wells at all, or just maybe your comment, your, your overall impressions of sort of Alexander Wells' handful of big league appearances to this point. Yeah, I, I don't think there's anything too specific to cue in on. I guess the big thing is that he doesn't have overwhelming stuff, and he was known as this pitchability control artist. Uh, I guess for those who don't know, pitchability is just somebody with a ton of feel. It's it, it's a very loose concept, but it just means that you're able to figure out what you need to do without good stuff, and you're able to execute anyways and still get people out. Um, and he was known as a big pitchability guy, a super big command guy, someone who just had a feel for the strike zone, a feel for how to work his stuff in order to make it work. And the fact that he doesn't have that electric stuff is just biting him so hard. He hasn't been particularly sharp. He is missing spots. Pretty much everything that somebody like him has to do in order to be successful, he has not been doing. And I hate to put it in those strong of terms, but yeah, he, he really has been struggling. I think in his three starts, he's pitched like 13 innings and given up like 18 runs at this point. It's something very bad like that. <laughs> yeah it's not great I mean yeah to kind of give you guys sort of a I don't know sort of a comparison Bruce Zimmerman's also kind of referred to as a pitchability guy but his fastball is like three miles an hour faster than Alex Wells is Alexander Wells I think he wants to go by Alexander Alexander Wells is fast fastball um which you know three miles per hour doesn't sound huge but you know that's cutting down the time the players have the hitters have to react to the pitch and everything like that and you know Zimmerman has, has even had struggles and you know you kind of got to got that that have that big fastball to get by uh, big league hitters sometimes. Um, Jesse, do you have any, any impressions on Wells? Hey, I was just going to say one real quick thing, Jess, hold on. I was wrong. It was 13 innings and 13 runs. It's a little bit different, but I didn't want to not him harder than he needed to be hit. Already. That's fair. That's journalistic integrity. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, oh, just to Tyler's <laughs> point, I was just going to comment that. Yeah. <laughs> Can I, can I just start this over? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just to Tyler's point. Uh, yeah. I mean, three miles an hour. It it in Major League Baseball, it is a 
a big difference. Yeah. Someone who throws 88 and someone who throws 91 or someone who throws 91 and 94, like those are all very big distinctions. 97 and 100. Let's yeah, just exactly. keep listing right. off yeah, differences. Right. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Correct. 54, 57. So, yeah. yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, so the, those, <laughs> those do um, make a big deal. So uh, I just wanted to uh, confirm that not confirm that but just thank you yeah it's a little second uh, re-emphasize that um yeah so that i mean the thing with wells is yeah i mean um he's kind of in a situation he had a tough assignment of uh going into the bronx last night and that did not go well um so uh i mean the thing is uh you know he's going to get another opportunity uh, this was kind of like a little trial session for him. It, I'm not at all surprised I that he got called up and got sent back down. Um, you know, like I would have been highly, highly, highly surprised if he made the major leagues and then just stayed here indefinitely through the end of his career. Right. That probably was not going to happen. So, you know, he got a little taste. Uh, he's going to go back down, work on some stuff, right? And then try to come up again um, with a more uh, perfected pitchability approach. And I think also, again, it's sort of the, a good time to do some reframing of what he is and who he is as a prospect. Like, this is not a Grayson Rodriguez. This is not a D.O. Hall. Like, this is basically the repertoire of a guy that bounces up and down. You use his options for three years. And then after those three years, like, is he going to still be in the organization? I don't know. He's just kind of that type of pitcher. So it's not overly surprising. Hopefully he figures it out and does like a Jamie Moyer and sticks around for forever with a middling fast. Well, not even middling, a, a low end fastball. <laughs> um, all right. Let's talk about somebody else that's in the minor leagues and he, and he maybe shouldn't be in the minor leagues anymore. You know, if you talk to some people, Adley Rutschman's just kind of crushing it down in double a buoy. As of this recording, he's got a nine ten OPS and that is from a 274 batting average, a 398 on base, and a 513 slugging percentage. He's playing a little bit of first base, a little bit behind the plate. He's now spent 75 games at Double A Bowie. Um, and Eli just added a note here that he's thrown out uh, almost a third of potential base stealers when playing behind the plate. So uh, people are starting to clamor for the way they're talking about Jemai Jones coming to the big leagues. They want even more for Adley Rutschman to move from Bowie to Norfolk. Um, I think kind of a theory that's been thrown out there is that the Orioles want him to stick with Grayson Rodriguez and maybe deal hall for a little longer. Eli, do you kind of buy that or, or do you have another reason why he's still in Bowie? Uh, yeah, I threw that out on Twitter and I talked with a couple people from the warehouse account regarding that. And the first thing I'll say is that I do not think he should be in double a. The second thing I'll say is that I can't possibly think of another reason why he's there. I mean, yeah. you know, somebody brought up service time and it's like, I, I, I don't know, you know, maybe if you make the argument, you know, if you promote him late to AAA, you can make the argument he's had less time in AAA. I, I don't know how much that'll stand and how much the Orioles are playing that game. You know, if they're going to manipulate his service time regardless, you can just keep him in AAA and let that happen. Um, but yeah, he's been, you know, he's been there for 75 games, which is like three quarters of the minor league season. He's been playing extremely well. Uh, he's got really like nothing to prove. And so when I look at this, I say, what are some other factors that could be keeping him there? And I think the fact, and yes, I understand that DL Hall is hurt, but the fact that DL Hall and Grayson Rodriguez are still at double A, I think 
is the one thing that kind of makes sense. It's like, you know, these are the two guys that you want to cultivate the best environment for, you know, when you have DL Hall on the mound, you want the best pitch framer, the catcher is going to control the run game the best. Quite frankly, you want him to have some run support and at least bat helps with that. His glove helps with one and his arm helps with the other. Uh, people talk about him as this, you know, pretty incredible leader. They say he calls a game really well. And I think there is an aspect to the Orioles enjoying that he is developing a relationship with Grayson Rodriguez. And, you know, despite the fact that DL Hall is hurt, they're all in the same meetings together. They're all going over film. They're all discussing, you know, pitch sequences. They're all doing everything together. They hang out together. We see it on Twitter all the time. So I think there is potentially something to the Orioles want Adley to be where the elite pitching prospects are. And somebody brought up the point that, you know, we've got like Bradish, Kevin Smith, and uh, I forget the other name they brought up, but we have some guys at AAA at this point, and you would think they'd want him to get some time there too. And I don't have a good counter argument against that, except that they're not Grayson Rodriguez. Um, it, it's an interesting point. And yeah, I, you know, I'm not quite sure why the Orioles still have him in AA. Of course, like he still probably doesn't even have a full year of minor league time under his belt, but he's clearly outperforming that level. He's been doing it literally all year, and I think it's time to get him to AAA. Yes. Yeah, so um, I guess my thing is if he gets pushed to AAA, he's almost immediately going to outgrow that level too. So – I feel like just him being in the minor leagues, he's going to have already kind of sort of outgrown the level. So I don't think that AAA offers him a whole lot in terms of uh, competition and that sort of thing um, that is going to be that, that valuable to him. I I think the point about him staying with uh, the hopefully core members of the Orioles future. I think that is the key. And I think that is important. Um, Catching uh, Grayson Rodriguez through these starts, um, being there alongside the pitchers, like you were saying, being in the meetings, going over the film, et cetera. All of that, I think is much, much, much more important that for him, uh, his specific situation in other situations, maybe going to a, a slightly more competitive level would be more useful. Right. But I think in his situation, um, I think that it is really important that, um, he is kind of around, uh, these, the cornerstones of what the Orioles hope the future will be. Um, so I think that is a very, very important point. And I think they want to try to keep the guys together to the most, to the biggest extent that they can. Um, so I was going to say that also just at this point, Bowie is just a much more exciting place for a young player growing up, uh, learning baseball to be than AAA is and then Norfolk is. Um, so, you know, Norfolk definitely has some talented players, but it's a lot of guys that are on this AAA uh, shuttle, uh, AAA uh, Major League Baseball shuttle. Um, whereas the double A guys, uh, the Orioles are really, really relying on to, uh, to hold it down in the future. So, um, I really think that, um, 
trying to keep these guys together makes a lot of sense. I think your service point, service time point uh, is basically correct. That I don't think that's really factoring into it. But I think, yeah, especially a pitcher and a catcher developing these sorts of relationships, getting this sort of familiarity, I think is invaluable in the long run. Yeah, and what I would say is, you know, it's not that uncommon for a player to just completely skip AAA on the way to the big leagues. Like, I know catcher, yeah, Machado did it. Catcher is a little bit different, Um, but you know, I guess kind of your point, Jess. Like, why why does he need to go to AAA? What's he going to glean from going to AAA that he can't get from spending time in big league spring training with these experienced pitchers and then spending time in AA with like the top tier prospects? The guys that are good that are considered better prospects pitching wise that are in Norfolk right now, he's already caught at Bowie this year. I think Kevin Smith's up there. I think Bradish is up at triple a now. So That's it's a really kind of, good point. So I don't know, like is, is Adley ever going to play at triple a probably, but is he going to stay there very long? I'm not so sure. Um, we'll see what happens with the CBA again, this off season. I would imagine they're going to do something about service time manipulation. I don't know if that's going to impact current minor leaguers or a certain level or something like that certain ages but i could see the orioles are going to probably keep rutschman down in 2022 until like the second that they can in order to get an additional year of team control because why wouldn't you do that business-wise i'm not saying it's right they shouldn't do that they should get a player up as soon as possible if they think he's ready but they're not going to and we just kind of have to accept that so i think Maybe he spends time at AAA. It's not going to be very much, and he'll be up pretty shortly after the season starts in 2022 is what my thought would be. Yeah, I just want to make one point for the casual fan. Chris Bryant uh, was probably the poster child for service time manipulation because they made up some BS about his defense and how he needed to be working on it, and quite literally the day after the service time manipulation cut off, and I call it that, but after the cutoff for him to accrue a full year of service time, he got promoted, like quite literally the day after. And Bryant and his agent, I think is Scott Boris, uh, they knew it was so egregiously apparent that they filed a grievance, you know, through the MLB Players Association with MLB and it got denied. And so that's why Chris Bryant's going to be a free agent this year and was not last year, uh, which he probably should have been. Well, and you know what? It it worked out for the Cubs. He was rookie of the year, won an MVP. They won the World Series. So it's like, what's the downside? Yeah, do it. Right. Of course. Right. Um, yeah. So w- when Tyler says the second after that cuts <laughs> off, Adley Rutschman will probably be up. He's not, not even exaggerating. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. I do yeah. think that if the Orioles were like a, an 80 win team right now and they thought Rutschman made us five wins better and this prospect makes us five wins better, I think he would be up as soon as possible. But like that, the White Sox have done that with some prospects. They've called him up immediately because the White Sox like we're, we're ready to win a World Series tomorrow. Um, the Orioles aren't. They're bad. They're probably not going to be competitive again in for until maybe 2023, 2024. So why use up Rutschman now? They're just not going to do it. Um, and it sucks, but it is what it is. Um, yeah, so that's the Rutschman talk, you know, we'll keep on top of that. I think that's going to be one of the big things to sort of watch this last month and a half or so, almost two months, uh, because the Orioles are playing better baseball, but you know, let's be realistic. They're not making some playoff push. So we'll talk minor leagues a little bit more often, but to that point, there's only a couple more weeks of the, the MILB season, that's the true. minor league shut down at the end of August. 
True. And remember, September call-ups now, I think it's only two players come up. It's like they expand to, oh, 28, yeah, right. to 28 players, and that's it. So I don't expect that to be Rutschman. I think Jemai Jones could maybe come up then and maybe a pitcher. But, um, yeah. Uh, some other minor notes real quick. The Orioles released three minor leaguers of note. They released more than three, but these three were kind of the most noteworthy. Evan Phillips, who the Orioles got, and I think the Kevin Gossman and Darren O'Day trade from the Braves mm-hmm. a couple years ago. They also released Cody Carroll, who was one of the three pieces in the uh, Zach Britton trade. Now Dylan Tate is the only one left from that trade. And then Chris Shaw got released too. I think he was a waiver claim a couple of years ago. Those guys were all released from uh, Norfolk. Um, no thoughts we really have there. Just kind of wanted to update you guys on that. And uh, yeah, just kind of people have started to kind of go back to those 2018 trades and reevaluate the returns for Machado and, and Britton and Gossman and Scope and O'Day and, they're not great, but, um, you know, that's okay. Gene Carmona is kind of playing well down in uh, Aberdeen, and I think he came over in the scope deal, so keep an eye on him. I will say that I have not fully given up on Dean Kramer. Like, I think he no. still has great stuff. He's super wild, but, you know, he's been in the league less than a year, so cut him oh, yeah. back. He'll be back in the rotation competition next year, I think. Um, all right. So the week ahead, before we get into Oriole of the week, the Orioles are going to play three against the Rays. They're going to, well, they're going to wrap up this series with the Yankees, three against the Rays, three against the Tigers. And then they go to Fenway for two against the Red Sox. Um, so we will chat about that next week, this week for the Oriole of the week. Well, before we get into that last week's Oriole of the week was Bob Melvin, who is the current manager of the Oakland athletics. That was a little different one that, uh, I think Eli, you mentioned you weren't, you didn't know he was an Oriole. Right. I did not know he was an Oriole. Yeah, so sometimes you get those those kinds of guys that are sort of uh, low-key Orioles, and then they become famous for doing other stuff. Uh, so this week's Oriole of the Week, we'll give you three facts, how it works is we give you three facts. And then if you want to play along, you can email us or you can uh, tweet at us on uh, at the Warehouse Pod on Twitter or email thewarehousepod at gmail.com and let us know who you think the Oriole of the Week is. The first fact about this former Oriole is that they played with the Orioles from 1961 until 1974. This player won AL MVP in 1970. And the layup for anyone who's ever been to Camden Yards, this player makes some of the best barbecue that Camden Yards has to offer. Absolutely. If you don't get this one, shame on you. Yeah, it'd be pretty disappointing. Yeah. Don't unsubscribe, like stay subscribed, but just like try harder, I think, is what I would say. Because we need just, the numbers. Just go to a game and like stop out behind the flag court in right field and get some barbecue and Absolutely. see who might be signing autographs there. Absolutely. I'm, I'm going to my first game of the year next week or this weekend. Hey. This weekend. Going to get a bobblehead. Pretty Taking exciting. Taking the baby. Enough. Taking the baby. Yeah, we're, it's a, the kids cheer free thing. So we get like he's free because he's under seven or whatever so normally he would not be i don't know we didn't even mess with it we just wanted we wanted the extra seat anyway so if we had to pay for a ticket i'd rather just get it for free so that's pretty cool cool yeah that's about all we got for that oh sorry eli go ahead real quick i have one note for you tyler you should be pretty disappointed that the fan who lives in florida has been to a game before you have i know i do not have any children but I found a way over to the west side of Florida to get to a game against the Rays before you made it like 30 minutes south to Camden Yards. Look, a lot of factors at play, work schedules to figure out, like you said, a baby. That's the, that's the. Sounds a lot like excuses. That is the Trump card, man. A baby. Boom. 
You can't we even can't, argue with it. We, can't compete. I can I can plead blissful blissful ignorance because I don't know how much work that entails. But <laughs> you should have been to a game. <laughs> <laughs> it's fair, but we're we're doing the uh, we're doing the the Hall of Fame induction for JJ Hardy, Mike Devereaux, and Mo Gabba. So definitely oh, going to awesome. cry a little bit. So that'll be nice. And uh, we'll get an Oriole bird bobblehead. So I'm looking forward to it. And we'll probably only stay for like six innings because the baby will fall asleep. So that'll be fun. We also did not mention this on the pod. <laughs> uh, when Sanzi Mo's mom came out to the game throughout the first pitch and Trey Mancini hit a home run and like came out of the dugout, looked up at her and waved and she blew a kiss. That was just awesome. Trey's, um, Trey's awesome. Yeah. For those of you who do not know Mo Gabba, you should do some Googling. I mean, kids an inspirational story and really impacted a lot of people's lives in the Baltimore sports scene. And his, his laugh is uh, infectious and it'll make you, it'll make you cry now, but yeah, it's tough. We love Mo. <laughs> this is a promo podcast. Promo. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I think that's all we've got for this week. What you guys can do to support the podcast is subscribe to it on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also give us a rating and a review. That would be awesome. And it helps us reach more people that may be interested in podcasts like this. And you can also follow us on various social media channels at the warehouse pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or you can email us the warehouse pod at gmail.com. If you have any questions you would like for us to answer either via email or on the show, uh, Eli, where can people follow you on in, or I'm sorry, on the internet, on the internet. I am at Twitter at Elijah Ginsburg. <laughs> nice cool and uh jesse i am at juggernaut 8678 on instagram and twitter very good and i am at underscore ty young on instagram and twitter and you can check out camdenchat.com for some blogs all right fellas this was a good episode and uh we will be back uh sometime next week cool yeah very cool (laughs) just real quick paul fry heard us talking about him and he decided to give up a couple runs in spite Luck. Those those relievers are volatile. (laughs) The Orioles are now losing four to three. They're also very sensitive, apparently. Yeah. And they have good hearing. So that's all kind of cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. All right, everybody. Well, thank you. What? (laughs) You heard Jesse talking all the way from the other side of New York City. Exactly. A couple boroughs away. Right. All right, folks. Well, thank you so much for checking out the Warehouse Podcast. Until next time, I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli. Let's go O's. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.